0: Uh, Thank you, Gemma, and good morning, everybody. Um, Yeah, so like Gemma said, uh, my name is Rosie, and this morning I'm going to be continuing our preaching series, which is on the glory of God revealed, where we are thinking about Jesus, about how we see him, and perhaps challenging some of our ideas about what he is like. Um, Our aim for this series but kind of also just in life generally, is to fall more in love with Jesus and to be blown away again and again by how amazing he is and have our minds renewed so that we can see him more clearly. So as we're going to be thinking this morning um, about having our perspective shifted slightly, I thought that um, I would begin with a little um, activity because that's how I roll. So we're going to, um, I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen. Well, Hannah is. Thanks, Hannah. Um, And uh, you just have to think, what do you see when you see this picture, okay? Obviously, if you're at home, you can just tell each other. If you're here, you can mumble in my direction. Um, So what do you see when you see this picture? Faces. I also see faces, but this picture is in fact called the vase. um, Because if you look at the white bit, you'll see a vase. Okay, next one, please, Hannah. What do you see here? Yeah, so my husband and I uh, see opposite things here. He sees a frog, I see a horse. So there we go. If you change your perspective, you might see a horse. And then the final one, what we got here? Mm, we've got both answers coming out. We've got a duck and or a rabbit or hare. So there you go. Uh, Sometimes when we look at things slightly differently, we see something that we haven't seen before. And my question for you this morning that I'd like you to consider um, as we uh, explore this is how do I see Jesus? So often we can't help but think of God as being just like us. Uh, One writer says that we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts about how the world works. And so we end up with a skewed vision of what he's like. This morning's topic is the glory of Christ in humility. And immediately, we've got a bit of a problem there. Because in our skewed worldview, glory and humility are kind of opposites. Uh, I asked a few of my friends who aren't followers of Jesus what the word glory makes them think of and they came back at me with answers like uh, being in the limelight, uh, winning trophies, being successful or having a really good feeling about yourself. And these are not ideas that we would naturally associate with humility. We're going to be reading um, a story from John's Gospel, chapter 13, this morning. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you might want to turn there. But just before that chapter, in chapter 12, John um, explains that many people were not openly following Jesus because, he says, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so we see here there's a difference between our human understanding of glory and God's definition, which was revealed through his son, Jesus. Let's spend some time exploring what that glory does look like. So in John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20, we find the story, uh, as the is just illustrated, of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Often when we hear talks on this passage, uh, they're centred around verse 14, where Jesus commands us to go and do likewise, to serve one another. This morning, however, we're going to focus in just on the first five verses from that chapter. And we're going to go through verse by verse and see... Rather than thinking about our own response to this event, we're going to think about what they tell us about Jesus, and in particular, his humility. We're going to explore how Jesus challenges some of our ideas. In fact, he doesn't just challenge them, he flips them on their head. So the first thing uh, that we see in verse 1 is that Jesus flips our idea about love. Verse 1 of chapter 13 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the end. The first thing that we can see is that Jesus's humility is motivated by love. Before we read what Jesus did, John tells us why he did it. Those words, he loved them to the end, could be translated, he loved them to the limit. His humble action of washing the disciples' feet is motivated by a love which goes to the limit. A couple of years ago, um, I had uh, the pleasure of speaking at a wedding, um, and I was talking about love and about how our Western um, Hollywoodized version of love is sometimes uh, quite contrary to the love of God that we find in the Bible. When we think of love, we think often um, of a feeling uh, which is kind of inherently selfish because it's about me and about how it makes me feel. Biblical love, as well as being about feeling, is about action and not just any action, but self-sacrifice. The ultimate example of this is what we're going to explore next week when Jesus gave his life on our behalf. But today's action of washing the disciples' feet is just one of the many acts of Jesus that show us what love is really like. Everything that Jesus does is motivated by love because he is love. Jesus is God and as such, he cannot do anything that is contrary to his nature. What he does shows us who he is and this is important for us to grasp as we go through this series if we want to know what the glory of god looks like we can look at jesus and his life on earth because what he does shows us who he is unlike me who can do things that are contrary to my nature everything that jesus does shows his heart Thomas Goodwin wrote many, many, many years ago that Jesus is love covered over in flesh. Jesus is not like us. The glory of God is a man loving his friends to the limit. The second idea that Jesus flips is our ideas about our own disgustingness. In verse 2 it says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I love that John mentions this before telling us what Jesus did. Jesus knew that Judas had already made up his mind to betray him, and yet he goes on to wash his feet. Now, Paul Harrison um, has recommended this book, Gentle and Lowly, twice already. So I thought I'd just throw my two cents in and recommend it as well, because most of this point comes from this book. You see, I know that Jesus loves me, and sometimes I can start to get my head around the idea that this love is way beyond my human understanding of love. But the idea that his love embraces my sinfulness just something I find difficult to grasp. When I know that I have sinned, I feel a little bit disgusting. How could a holy, perfect, dare I say, glorious God accept me? I mean, look back at the Old Testament and all those cleansing rules. How could I possibly come near to Him? I mean, surely, even though I've been made right by Jesus's sacrifice, surely he must find me a little bit repulsive to come near to. Or, as Dane Ortland puts it in his book, we naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. Face screwed up, cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. I wonder if anyone else can relate to that image. I know that I can. How can Jesus, the glory of God revealed, come close to me, want to come close to me? A sinner, a slug. How much comfort then can we find in this one half sentence when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Jesus knew who he was reaching down and touching the disgusting feet of. But, as Ortlund explains in his book, the high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. You see, we imagine that Jesus could not bear to touch us. In fact, he cannot bear not to. We said that Jesus is love, therefore everything he does is love, and in the same way, he is mercy. His heart is drawn out to us in our sinfulness, and he must show us mercy. It's his nature. In fact, he loves to do it. It is his heart. Allow me to quote Ortland one more time. It says, his holiness finds evil revolting. But it is that very holiness that also draws his heart out to help and relieve and protect and comfort. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him and he washed his feet. Jesus knows your sin and he longs to comfort and help you. Allow this truth to wash over you. Jesus is not like us. The glory of God is a man washing the filthy feet of the person who would hand him over to be killed. And so to verse 3, Jesus flips our idea of humility. It says this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. One of the things that I think of when I consider humility is the fact that we say things like, oh, no, 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 it wasn't me. I'm not important. I'm nothing special. Jesus is not like this. He knew who he was. He was confident in his identity. He knew where he was coming from, where he was going to, and that the Father had given all things into his hands. In verse 14 of this chapter, he refers to himself as Kyrios, Lord, which is a a term of um, uh, supreme authority, which is used to refer to God. So knowing all this about himself, what does Jesus choose to do? To uh, flash his power about, perhaps? uh, To demand service from other people? To overthrow the Romans, as the Jews were hoping? No. He once again shows us that he is not like us. One uh, commentator says of the foot washing that this act showed that Jesus is God supremely because we wouldn't do this. Jesus shows us that humility doesn't mean underplaying our identity. If we are followers of Jesus, we are made heirs with him. Rather, humility means knowing our privileged position and choosing to serve. Jesus is not like us. The glory of God is a man confident in his identity, choosing to serve. The final thing that Jesus flips is our idea of glory. Verses four and five say, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And so we come to the shocking event itself. Foot washing was a disgusting job, so much so uh, that non, that Jewish slaves were not permitted to do it. It was reserved for non-Jewish slaves. Jesus uh, was a teacher. His followers would have done everything for him. They would have prepared everything for this meal, except this. They weren't willing to do this job, but Jesus was willing, willing to get down from the table, take off his outer garments and wash the filthy feet of those whom he had created. But I hear you cry. How does this tally up with uh, the idea of glory revealed to us in the Old Testament? What about the majesty, the holiness, the power? Isn't this contrary to that? Isn't like humility one part that Jesus revealed and glory another part from the Old Testament? Well, as we have already said, Jesus is clear that he is God. And we've said that God cannot be or do anything other than who he is. And so this act of humility is glorious. Let's explore that. Just before this story in chapter 12, John quotes twice from the book of the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. He quotes first from Isaiah chapter 6, a chapter which begins with Isaiah seeing a vision of the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. He then goes on to quote from Isaiah 53, where the suffering servant is introduced to us, the man of sorrows, despised and rejected by men. Now, that first image uh, that Isaiah saw of the Lord... on the the throne, high and lifted up, with his uh, robe filling the temple, surrounded by his worshipping servants. That's quite easy for us to equate with the idea of glory. This second image, however, this suffering servant, seems less glorious in our worldly eyes, right? And yet, John brings these two passages together to show us that this is the same man, this is the Lord, the Messiah. This is Jesus. Jesus doesn't change what glory looks like. He simply opens our eyes to the fact that this is what God has always been like. God had already been revealing himself to be humble throughout the Old Testament. When Moses asked to see God's glory, God, Yahweh, says, I will make my goodness pass before you, and describes himself as gracious and merciful immediately. This is who he is, who he has always been and who he will always be. God defines glory. We have skewed ideas of what glory looks like. But when we look at Jesus and then look at the whole of the Bible, we can have our minds renewed to see that Jesus is not like us. The glory of God is a man on his knees, washing his followers' feet. I wonder if the band could come back up onto the stage. I want to just finish before uh, we sing by looking at that passage from Isaiah 6, which John quotes and seeing how it parallels our story from this morning. After that, we're going to sing together, King of Kings. The whole aim of this series is to help us wonder at and worship Jesus more. Let's marvel once again at this man who flips our ideas of love, of our own disgustingness, of humility and of glory. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. Jesus got down from the table. Isaiah saw the train of his robe filling the temple. Jesus took off his outer garments. Isaiah saw servants surrounding the Lord calling holy, holy, holy. Jesus knelt before his servants washing their feet. This is the Jesus that we worship. Our Lord high and lifted up and humbly kneeling down. What a glorious king.